minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Avrami Finkelstein. Briefly sitting in for the one and only Nachum Siegel on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzorah and Shabbos Hagadol. We welcome you to your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh, my God. 
just at work when I hear the boss I jump to shop or go to school I'm always parking by a pump but all of the worry goes down the drain when my wife and children join me in singing very
Was Lev Tahar off of Lev Tahar Volume Five with Lecha Dodi, capping off that set. Our first set of the morning here on this Arab Shabbos Friday morning edition of JMDM of Rami Finkelstein, briefly sitting in for the one and only Nahum Siegel on this uh, 
Friday morning. Wonderful songs that we've enjoyed so far. Some brand new stuff coming on and some classics as well. We had Regesh, of course, opening the show with Moda Ani. Rav Shlomo Katz with Yismachu off of his Vehakohanim CD. That's kind of like a modern-day classic. Uh, A.B. Rottenberg featuring Shlemy Gertner with Baruch Hashem at Shabbos, brand new off of Journeys 5. And uh, Yoni Eliav with the Funk Medley 2022. That features his band, plus Simcha Friedman, Ruli Dickman, Moshe Tischler, and Shmulek Klein. Uh, we are keeping the uh, daily playlist, so you can check out if you missed anything I just said. It is available for you there um, to check out throughout the program, and I'm sure Nahum is going to continue it uh, when he is on. Um, we are, of course, expecting to have uh, Henry Rothenberg on at about 7.15, 7.20 with his uh, Parsha vlog. We are expecting Nahum Siegel to be conducting the um, weekly update with Malcolm Holine coming up at about 7.40. And, of course, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin will be on to talk about the Torah portion of the week as well as Shabbos Hagadol on this April 8th, 7th of Nissan 5782 as we are getting ready to enjoy a Shabbos Hagadol. As uh, we are getting ready to enjoy Shabbos Parshas Matorah, this is our final Shabbos before the holiday of Pesach. Next Shabbos will be the holiday of Pesach, and it will be Erev Pesach for us here next Friday. I'm sure it's going to be a great program then as well, a great Erev Pesach edition of JM in the AM with uh, Rabbi David Goldwasser coming on the program for the uh, annual uh, Siyam uh, Bechorim. So that way uh, people do not have to uh, fast if they, hear the, if they can't uh, get to a shul and someone they can hear it here on the program. Actually, I'm not sure how that exactly works, so ask your local halachic decisor about that. But in any event, the CM will be happening on the program. I believe Nahum said about 7.15, but stay tuned. I'm sure he will uh, either confirm that or let you know that I was mistaken and let you know the actual time. Uh, coming up after this program on this Friday, we've got a new edition of Table for Two, which will be part two of Naomi's visit, of Naomi Nachman's visit to Masbia and Borough Park with special guests. Last week was the first part, this week is the second part as they get ready, and Masbia helping so many prepare for the holiday of Pesach. And then we'll have the encore of the Arab Shabbos show at 10 a.m. as, pre- as uh, hosted by Mark Zamek and presented by our friends at Kedem in the final hour. Wonderful music put together for that final hour right before candle lighting put together by Mark Zamek as well. As I said, this is Avrami Finkelstein briefly sitting in for the one and only Nahum Siegel. He will be joining us a little bit later in the program and uh, bringing you more great uh, Jewish music for an Arab Shabbos as well as all the other wonderful things that we mentioned. Uh, we are going to get right back to the music now with Yehuda Green and Am Mekadshe into our second set of the program. This is Avrami. You are listening to a... Uh, Erev Shabbos edition of JM and the AM being brought to you live from Beit Shemesh, Israel, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Because 
that is Moshav with Hitorari off of their Return Again CD. Uh, capping off that set, bringing us into uh, just about into hour number two of the program. Of Rami sitting in a briefly for the one and only Nachum Siegel on this Arab Shabbos Friday morning Parshas uh, Metzora, Shabbos Hagadol. Uh, just some of the songs we played in that set. Uh, we had Left to Heart with the Chadodi. Yehuda Green's Amakache started off that set. Joey Newcomb's Arab Shabbos Nigun from To Be a Yid. David Gabe's Niranana from Shira Pinchas Volume 2, the song that was my regular opening for the Wednesday Live Lunch. Uh, Yaakov Shweki's Ba Shabbos from L'chaim, A Toast to Life. A.B. Rottenberg and Shlomo Simcha. I guess A.B. Rottenberg's second appearance on the program with uh, Shalom Aleichem from H Volume 3 and then the Moshav Band Selection. Um, this is Avrami, as I said, briefly sitting in for the one and only Nahum Siegel on this America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. We thank you so much for tuning in and making this program part of your Arab Shabbos. We are going to get to our news from Israel right now from Galay Tzahal and get to some more great music coming up. Harry Rothenberg coming up, uh, the weekly update with Nahum Siegel and Nahum Holan coming up and more. So stay tuned. You are listening to JM and the AM being brought to you live from Beit Shemesh, Israel, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. פוליטיקה ישראלי על ההחלטות, הסיכונים והסיפורים. והשבוע, אייל שר, מנכ"ל פסטיבל ישראל. מוצאי שבת בחצות, גלי צה"ל. כל שבת ב-10 בבוקר, יורם סוויסה לוקח אתכם למסע מוסיקלי. והשבוע, מסע עם עידן רייכל. זכיתי לעבוד עם יוסי בנאי, הוא היה מגיש מדהים, אבל מדויק בשירה הוא לא היה. אני שואל אותו ככה, יוסי, אתה רוצה שאני אמשיך לנסות לדייק אותך או שזה קצת אוכל לך את הראש? אז הוא אומר לי, רייכל, אני מתוך כבוד למנגינה שר לידה. מסע עם יורם סוויסה, מחר ב-10 בבוקר, ובכל זמן שתרצו, באתר וביישומון גלי צה"ל. מיד אחרי החדשות, אהוד בנאי. גלי צהל השעה שתיים באולפן ערן קורצי, מה שקורה עכשיו. המתיחות הביטחונית, עשרות אלפי מוסלמים יוצאים בשעה זו מהר הבית לאחר תפילות יום השישי הראשון של רמדאן. עד כה לא היו אירועים חריגים, אך המשטרה פרוסה בכוחות מתוגברים באזור, מחשש להסלמה ולפיגועי חקיינות. כתבנו שחר גליק מוסר כי מפקד מחוז ירושלים במשטרה, ניצב דורון תורג'מן, וראש השב"כ רונן בר נמצאים בחמ"ל סמוך להר על מנת לפקח על האירועים. הפיגוע בדיזינגוף. איתם מגיני ותומר מורד, חברי ילדות בני 27 מכפר סבא, הם שני הנרצחים בפיגוע בבר האילקה בתל אביב. כתבתנו יערה אברהם מוסרת ששמונה פצועים מאושפזים בבית החולים איכילוב. מצבו של אחד הפצועים מוגדר אנוש ונשקפת סכנה מיידית לחייו. שלושה פצועים נוספים במצב קשה אך יציב, ועוד ארבעה פצועים במצב קל עד בינוני. המחבל פלסטיני ממחנה הפליטים ג'נין חוסל לפנות בוקר על ידי לוחמי ימ"מ ושב"כ סמוך למסגד יפו. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מוסרת שראש הממשלה נפתלי בנט אמר בהצהרה לתקשורת שהיה מי שסייע למחבל וכי ישראל תבוא חשבון עם כל מי שסייע לו. ולפני זמן קצר שגרירות טורקיה בתל אביב גינתה את הפיגוע ומסרה את תנחומיה למשפחות ההרוגים והפצועים. 
מועצת הרשות השנייה מכונסת בשעה זו לאספת חירום לדון באירועי הלילה ובאחריות הנדרשת מכלי התקשורת בסיקור אירועים ביטחוניים. ראש הממשלה נפתלי בנט התייחס גם הוא לכלי התקשורת ואמר, קורא פה גם לכם לא לזרוע פניקה מיותרת, זו לא תוכנית ריאליטי, כך בנט. כתבנו לענייני תקשורת, ים יוסף מוסיף שעד כה הצטברו ברשות השנייה לטלוויזיה ולרדיו יותר מאלפיים תלונות על שידורי החדשות אמש. עשרה צוותים של לוחמי אש פועלים לכיבוי שרפה באתר בנייה בעכו. כתבנו קובי מנדל מוסר שדיירי השכונה הסמוכה פונו מבתיהם למתנס בית העם שנפתח לקליטתם עקב העשן הרב המתעמר באזור. עד כה לא דווח על נפגעים בדלקה, אך טרם הושגה שליטה בשרפה ופעולות הכיבוי תימשכנה ככל הנראה עוד מספר שעות. 30 בני אדם נהרגו ויותר ממאה נפצעו מפגיעת שתי רקטות בתחנת הרכבת קרמטורסק במזרח אוקראינה. כך נמסר מחברת הרכבות הממלכתית של אוקראינה. כתבת חדשות החוץ מיכל גלנץ מוסרת שאלפי אזרחים שהו בתחנה בניסיון להתפנות לאזורים בטוחים יותר. כך טען מושל דונייצק. סוכנות הידיעות רויטרס מדווחת כי אתמול באותו האזור שלוש רכבות שהובילו מפונים נחסמו בעקבות תקיפה אווירית על הקו. מזג האוויר אצלנו מעונן חלקית עם ירידה בטמפרטורות בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ מחר תחול ירידה נוספת בטמפרטורות אלה החדשות Yeah, yeah. 
לישון, הוא רוצה עכשיו לישון, תקום עכשיו אתה כבר מאחר, תראה את השעון, אומר לך היום, לקום וללכת. גם אם זה לא קל, לנסות פתאום אל על, מתוך הסערה אתה צועק, נסחפת עם הגל, מבלי להתכוון, תכננת הכל בינתיים, תביט אל השמיים, תודה תמיד על מה שהוא לך נותן. לזכור ולא לשכוח, שהוא נותן את הכוח, תמיד אותך בדרך Vaknin with a brand new one. It's called The Boker here at JM in the AM. Before that, uh, Maishi Tischler had Mazel. You heard the Ari Boyanju selection, Home for Shabbos, to open up the hour. And I got to thank Avrami taking over uh, hour number one of JM in the AM on a Friday morning hour of Shabbos. And uh, here I am, Nahum Siegel from New York City in our makeshift studio, getting set for another couple hours of great programming until we get to 9 o'clock. Then more amazing programming after that with... Um, a full Friday schedule, as you would suspect, including the Arab Shabbat Show with Mark Zamek coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And we'll go through the full schedule, of course, a little later on in this broadcast. Hope you're doing fine and dandy. A big uh, thank you to our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies and some great old-world classics. And those of you out there who are looking for amazing meals and fantastic kolomoid options, to prepare for your family for this upcoming holiday, make sure to check out A&H. Abel's and Hyman, great displays and all the great kosher groceries and all the supermarkets in general. Try A&H today. Go to kosherdogs.net, save 10% with promo code radio. Malcolm Honeline is expected, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. We'll do the weekly update. And uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up. Harry Rothenberg. We'll have, uh, oh, actually, it's time. <laughs> Didn't realize it myself. Uh, it's time for Harry Rothenberg and his words regarding the Parsha of the week. 
uh, Parsha's Mitzorah. So we'll go to Harry Rothenberg and then be back with plenty more on a uh, Friday morning Erev Shabbos. It's Erev Shabbos Haggadol, everybody, as we get set for the final Shabbos before the big holiday of Pesach. And speaking of the big holiday of Pesach, I hope you have been thinking carefully and implementing carefully some great plans of uh, doing chesed for others. Uh, that is one of the themes that we have been harping on over the last couple of weeks is our Nissan Chesed campaign has gone into full swing. And those of you out there who have been listening, you've heard our suggestions. Uh, those who want to purchase tickets for underprivileged families and teens who um, we, we would prefer they have a Cholomoid activity to go to, you can go to ncsygreatadventure.com, ncsygreatadventure.com. When you go to that website, you'll see a Donate Tickets tab at the top. And that's where you can donate tickets to New Jersey NCSY. And Rabbi Gwialgis and company will make sure they're distributed uh, to teens who can uh, normally not afford it. And uh, any of our other great ideas that we've had, from the small gestures to the large gift cards to the um, dinner for some uh, families, especially the larger families, for Wednesday and Thursday night before the, before the uh, holiday of Pesach begins on Friday night. All of these suggestions, please take to heart. Think what you could do for people in your neighborhood, your community, and for others that you know are in need. And uh, all we ask, because we call it the It Takes Two campaign, all we ask is that when they thank you, just suggest to them that they should do something similar, a nice gesture, even if it's inexpensive, even if it doesn't cost anything, uh, to someone else who could uh, who could certainly use the boost and use the uh, preemptive help. Harry Rothenberg with words about Parsha's Mitzorah on an Erev Shabbos Hagadol here at JM in the AM. This week's total portion picks up where last week's left off. We're still learning the laws of tsaras. Those are the spots that can appear on a person's body. A divine consequence for certain infractions. Chief among them, gossip and slander. Now we find out that those spots can appear not just on a person's body, but also at times on the walls of their home. If that happens, spots appear on the walls of a house, the person has to go summon the priest. The Kohen shows up at the house, and if he determines, yes, those spots are tsaras, then the Torah tells us that they have to take down the walls of that house. One commentator asks, why does it say they? Why doesn't it say he, the homeowner? And answers, because if that wall is shared by the neighbor on the other side, then they, together, both neighbors, take that wall down. So let me get this straight. I'm living in my brownstone. I share a wall with a neighbor who's on the other side of that wall. And I'm not just a good Jewish boy. I am a great Jewish boy. I am so careful about every word that comes out of my mouth. I never say a bad word about anyone. No gossip, no slander, certainly nothing false. And even if it's true, I hear some juicy tale about what someone else did, and I want to share it with everybody. And I zip my lip and I don't say a word, exercising incredible restraint. But my neighbor, on the other side of that wall, unbeknownst to me, is running a gossip factory all day long chattering about other people. Sometimes false, sometimes it's true. Gossip, slander, the works. And gets this consequence. These spots, Tsaras, appear on the walls of his house. Well, he did something wrong. Yeah, he's going to have to take that wall down. Why do I lose the wall of my house? What did I do wrong? This commentator explains, Woe to the wicked and woe to his neighbor. You have to choose very carefully when you're choosing a neighborhood. You have to choose very carefully when you're choosing a neighbor. You have to choose carefully when you're choosing friends and acquaintances. 
and places where you hang out. You could be doing all the right things, but if you're in the wrong place, with the wrong people, it will wear you down. It will chip away day after day and inevitably bring you down.
Mama doing laundry in the sink and my brother's clothes and mine were kind of tattered but we had love and we had faith and there was laughter in our home so I guess we had the only things that mattered smooth, be it rough You just can't say it enough Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem Nothing much has changed As the days and years flew by If it wasn't sad You'd say it's kind of funny <laughs> Though I surely can proclaim that I've tried my very best Just like my folks, I'm not too good at making money But Hashem knows what He's doing It's His world after all Why waste time in useless second-guessing? All the trials and tribulations are but means to help us grow So instead of counting money, count your blessings There was a time not long ago I'm not too proud to say When I resented the good fortune of my friends How I wish I could take back The envy and the pain As it brought me less than nothing in the end But I've cast aside that burden I'm happy and I'm free Growing up taught me a thing or two Now I go around with my guitar And sing for all to hear The grass is mighty green on my side too
JM and the AM with brand new Journeys, volume number five. That's called Baruch Hashem. Can't say it enough is right. Uh, thanks for tuning in on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos, Parshas Mitzorah. Erev Shabbos Hagadol. Uh, candlelighting in New York, we're calling for 7.08. 7.08, official candlelighting time in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And a lot of uh, communities begin earlier this time of year. So again, make sure you know when things start where you are. Uh, Benny Friedman, Hadley Hisaneg. You heard Uri Davidi in there with Echad Ani Odea. That's brand new here at JM in the AM. Full schedule, as uh, we mentioned earlier, for a Friday here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Um... Let's see. At 9 o'clock, table for two, Naomi Nachman presents part two of her visit to Maspia in Borough Park. She's joined by Alex Rappaport, Maspia executive chef Ruben Diaz, great kosher restaurants, King Elon Kornblum, and um, Shani Seidman from Manischewitz. All guests of uh, Naomi Nachman on table for two today in part two of her visit to Maspia in Borough Park, Brooklyn. Erev Shabbos show is going to be Mark Zamek with uh, the Kedem presentation starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, specifically for Shabbos Mitzorah at Shabbos HaGadol, the Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami, JM in the AM, or I should say JM Sunday with Matis coming up at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday morning. That's, of course, done live, which is pretty remarkable. And that is the uh, the last JM Sunday. Well, not for a while. Uh, there'll be one JM Sunday off for the second day of Yontif. After that, uh, I would assume Matzah will be back on Isru Chag um, for JM Sunday here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Malcolm Homeline coming up. We'll do our weekly update. A big shout-out to our friends at Artscroll.com. If you're looking for a tremendous number of offerings for the Pesach Seder, including so many Haggadahs and a lot of brand-new material, also the brand-new Uncle Maishi book at Uncle Maishi CD, it's all at Artscroll.com. Just go to Artscroll.com. You make sure to use promo code RADIO. You know the rule when you go to Artscroll.com. You always want to make sure to use promo code RADIO. That is um, the guarantee that you'll have an amazing discount plus free shipping. So always use promo code RADIO at Artscroll.com. And check it out today. Special shout out to our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms, uh, where the Pesach section is incredible. I mean, you can't even imagine what they've done in order to uh, make it as convenient as possible to find all the Pesach products. Plus, of course, the meat section completely cultural of Pesach. Mechis, their takeout counter, their incredible deli, which has such amazing food all year round. That's completely cultural of Pesach. Check it out. Go to Aaron's Casino Farms on Casino Boulevard in Queens. You can visit them on the web at casinofarms.com. When you're there, say hi to manager Stacy and, of course, David in the meat department, Alfredo, who could be anywhere in the store, always very, very busy. And a, a big shout-out going out to uh, Hannah and to Giselle and the entire marketing team as Aaron's Casino Farms continues to set the standard for great kosher supermarkets in our community. Aaron's Casino Farms, check it out. Get ready for Pesach with them and enjoy. More coming up Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM and the AM. Weekly update, of course, is on the way. And uh, plenty more if you keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Shamaim, <laughs> 
Jam in the AM with Aton Katz. Main Alamaba, brand new from his album Truma. Moshe Klein had Bowie Kale, had Baruch Hashem done by Journeys off volume number five. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzorah, Erev Shabbos Haggadol, as we get set for the big holiday of Pesach. Keep our big Chesed project in mind. Uh, you know what the It Takes Two Chesed program is all about. It's all about uh, doing something nice for someone before Yontif. Any of the suggestions that we've had or anything you could think of on your uh, on your own. And uh, helping out those in need, especially larger families, etc. And when they thank you, just suggest that they do the same thing, even if it's a small, inexpensive gesture for somebody else. As we try to continue the chain reaction and ripple effect of uh, Chesed as we get closer and closer to the big holiday. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. You can check out thousands of articles on Israel and the Jewish world, print them out before Shabbos, and enjoy them all through the weekend. Go to JewishWorldReview.com, check out everything they have to offer, print out those articles, become better informed, and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays. 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the Weekly Update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning to you, Nachum, and to everyone. Good Erev Shabbos. Good Erev Shabbos HaGadol. This will be our last um, uh, weekly update for a couple of weeks, so there's a lot to speak about and a lot that's been going on. First, why don't you update us regarding what happened yesterday in the center of Tel Aviv and the bigger picture, of course. It seems that the, uh, I mean, I don't want to blame Ramadan, frankly. I think it's a convenient excuse, but it seems that the enemy recently has really stepped things up and our people, our brothers and sisters in Israel, are suffering because of it. What's the latest in terms of what happened yesterday? So first of all, in the overall principle, you're right. Um, and there was a lot of hype before about uh, Ramadan being a uh, time of violence as if somehow that makes it okay or anticipated. Uh, there's a lot of discussion in Israel about did they prepare properly and having known that uh, with Pesach, Easter, and uh, Ramadan coming at the same time, that there would be a likelihood, likely escalation, which we're seeing it started in Yerushalayim, uh, at the Damascus Gate, and there the police, I think, did handle it, uh, try to contain it. Uh, it. The fact is that it's not widespread. It's not a repetition of what happened last May, although that obviously can always get triggered. Uh, it's clear that they don't want the Hamas doesn't not looking for retaliation in Gaza for the acts that, that people from Gaza are carrying out. Uh, there is some evidence of ISIS involvement or inspiration for some of those uh, who've been involved, we don't know yet about the killer yesterday. Uh, the the two young men who were killed, both 27-year-olds, good friends. When you see the picture, it's, it's truly heartbreaking, but it's, as is every one of the losses of innocent people just going about their daily lives. And and there's no way to prevent all of it. And the, the A lot of questions are being asked about the holes in the fence and the, and the ability of people to come through, but... They want the workers also, on the other hand. So it's a, it's a difficult and complex situation, and people looking for simplistic answers are not going to find it here. There has to be a crackdown. There has to be a clear message. And as you know, they're, they're doing demolitions. They're doing other things in the hope that that would stem uh, uh, the violence. The uh, incident yesterday was particularly egregious coming into a crowded area, uh, and especially on a Thursday night when the Restaurants and bars in that area are packed as they were, and the um, the toll could have been even uh, higher. 
uh, some of those who are wounded are, are in serious condition. But we, we've seen this, this steady increase in the number of, uh, of incidents, uh, whether Iran is trying to, to incite or others are engaging in incitement. Uh, we, there's no clear evidence, but there's clear uh, evidence of Iran's increased involvement in terrorist attacks, a 400% increase between 2019 and 2020. Um, by Iran-backed groups, meaning Iran, uh, in the region, and the um, you know over the period before, from 2012 to 2018, for instance, there were no attacks on U.S. service people uh, or U.S. Uh, facilities in Iraq, and yet now we've seen an increase. So generally, we're seeing an increase in violence and in, in incidents, and it's um, the government is uh, obviously under tremendous pressure internally and externally for it. Um, and we should mention, uh, I mean, you alluded to it because uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks in terms of this whole thing. Beersheva, B'nai Barak, you mentioned Yerushalayim, and obviously now Dzingov in Tel Aviv. You know, one of the things we've always spoken about is, and, and you and you stress this, and, um, and, and, and they deserve all the credit in the world, is that Israeli security forces and intelligence prevent so many episodes on a regular basis and this is something that you always stress and uh it's very easy to believe about the israeli security forces and intelligence frankly is is this is this to a point where the enemy when it comes to a concerted effort like this just becomes more creative or they infiltrate differently or there's so many attempts that they can't possibly that israeli intelligence security can't possibly stop all of them does any of that explain why there's a spike like this at this time well, there are a lot of uh, factors, but you're, you're right that they prevented at least 15 other attacks, maybe more, uh, that they acknowledge. Uh, they, uh, and that, of course, an incident that doesn't take place, nobody then speaks about it, and nobody congratulates them for, for having prevented it. Uh, the degree to which their intelligence services work inside the areas, the fact that they prevented catch guys involved in, a, in developing a bomb in their basement is really remarkable. And that's why you need on-the-ground surveillance, why people say you can do this by satellite and the way other things. It is not the same as when you actually control the area and have access uh, to both in, to human intelligence and to uh, on-site inspections and, and uh, surveillance. Uh, so the number of incidents that are prevented is, is obviously very high. But you know, the fence itself, now the argument is why Why isn't it sealed? Why isn't it completely sealed? Uh, that too, you can't hermetically seal a country. You can do more to make sure that these um, the holes in the fences, which are well known, uh, are, are closed. But it's not, there's no way, and there's no country in the world that can uh, totally prevent people from getting in or getting out. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, years ago, of course, um, uh, listeners who remember when, when incidents like this were commonplace uh, in Israel, it would deter uh, people from traveling to Israel, and it would certainly uh, encourage people to cancel their plans. Now, I know it's a week before Pesach. Can I assume that you haven't heard any type of panic among people from outside of Israel about traveling to Israel this week? I would say I've heard concern, and... Um but I've not heard of uh, the munition. I know the hotels and the airlines are, are full. The um, hotels, a major problem is getting enough staff, they, that, especially in Tel Aviv and other areas. 
that where uh, in Jerusalem they hire Arabs and uh, others who come to work. But the I know that there are hotels that are not able to take the um, the full load for Pesach that they would normally have, and for which there is a demand because they don't have the staff to service all of them. Wow. All right, so the next point, of course, and I'm sure this is why a lot of people have tuned in this morning, is to hear the latest regarding the Israeli government. Uh, a lot of people are actually linking um, all these uh, terrorist attacks to the possible uh, uh, fall of the Israeli government. Uh, so we know that, that a member of Knesset um, uh, has switched parties, and that now uh, that puts the current government in danger. Uh, but I have read that it may not necessarily lead to the fall of the current Israeli government. What could you tell us is the latest regarding Naftali Bennett and his potential continuation of leadership? So the the balance between remember this is an eight party coalition ruling Israel right now, and every one of them leveraged their position, including Ram and uh, the others, you know, to to get what they want in the particular concerns that they've expressed. And in this case, it was over an issue which I think is a disturbing issue about mandating hummets uh, in in the hospitals and in the army, etc. They. Um, but if not this, it would have been something else. And now you see that other members are starting to put forward their demands. Uh, what demands the parties put forward is generally not known publicly, except when the agreements are, are published. So th- this is a, a, a jockeying for position and for protecting particular interests and agendas, which goes when you have a narrow uh, party. And now the prime minister's party, the Amina party, which won seven seats, in the election is down to five uh, people in the, in the Knesset, which is 120 seats and you need a majority. So till now it was, they had 61 seats uh, supporting the the government. So if a non-confidence vote came up, they could count on the 61 votes for, if for nothing else, then it's their own self-interest. Now it's 60, 60. And if one more person defects, meaning uh, the others, they can switch to a party. They can switch to a party. You don't. You can leave the government, uh, but you don't have to leave the Knesset. It's a strange system, but the, as as you know, it's very complicated and strange in many respects. Then it becomes if they think they've then they're down to fifty nine. Then the opposition can move with a no confidence vote, and if they can mobilize the sixty one votes necessary to to to. Be, to uh, bring this government down. The members of the government don't want it because all of them know they're going to face a very tough election. Most are not going to do that well. Um, and particularly uh, Prime Minister Bennett's uh, party is not even expected to hit the, ma- the mandated number to, to be included, although that obviously can change. And and people like the stability. They don't like going to elections. They're very divisive. They're expensive. And uh, But I think that many people feel it's inevitable at some point um, that they will. So you, you now the Knesset is out of session and till after Pesach and they will, uh, when they reconvene, then you'll see what the possibility. And of course, this interim period will be a period of immense pressure, counter pressures. Um, they'll try to come up with a creative, uh, way to before the opening of the summer session. I think it's May 7th, uh, when the, Knesset then uh, will reconvene. If it does, well, then under the agreement, I think Lapid becomes the uh, head of the government. And 
and that too is uh, become subject to jockeying by the different parties about the government headed by Lapid. So we will have to see what uh, what happens. But it's when it starts to fray at the fringes like this, it usually doesn't stop. So the government can last with sixty. Right, they lose the sixty first. It could still last with sixty. If if they lose another one, then it's obvious it falls. Right? No, it, it depends if everybody will vote for uh, a no confidence measure. Oh, that that's what I meant. To, right, right. That's what I meant to say. In other words, you can live without the sixty first, but if you want to go ahead and 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 uh, and vote for the government to fall, then you need sixty one. Or, or yeah, then you would need sixty-one, right, to to call for the you no confidence, majority. right? So you would need sixty-one votes. So if that would happen today, if there'd be a no confidence vote today, I'm assuming that there's a chance it would actually only end at sixty, right? They may not get to the sixty-first. Well, if people can can abstain. Ah, I mean, there's right. other parties that can abstain also. So I mean, as much as people, as much as the headlines and the media likes to tell us that you know we're on the road to the fall of the Israeli government, it's you know not so fast. It's not exactly. It's not exactly true that this is inevitable. It's not true that it's inevitable, but as I said, I think historically it's shown that when most governments of Israel, the average length is two and a half years since Israel's creation, uh, recreation. And I think that, uh, you know, people are looking at it now and uh, it's it's a very tenuous coalition. And what kept them together were two things. One, BB. You know, it was an anti-BB coalition. And the second uh, is, uh, which also was an excuse for parties of the right to join. And, um, you know, people are looking at options. What if Likud is led by somebody else? Would they, all, would Sire and others come back? Uh, and some have even commented to that to that effect. Uh, but also what, what kept them together is the knowledge that if they have to face an electorate, their parties, each of their parties could be subject to a significant diminution in strength. It's amazing that it took all this time to get to, to Bibi because <laughs> a lot of people are blaming him for all of this. Uh, is there a way to um, accurately... Uh, uh, could, well, is, 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 what blame can we put on Bibi for all of this? Is he making deals... Uh, to get people to resign or get people to switch parties in order to, because he sees it. He sees the, the potential, as you just described. Yamina may not even be part of the government uh, or may not even get enough mandates to uh, to have any type of impact if there'd be an election today. Uh, does is, is he reading the political scene? And we know he's a political genius. Is he reading the political scene and realizing that if he could just convince a person or two to switch parties, uh, he, he has the potential to become prime minister again? He has been working to peel off members all the time since the election, and he's been putting public pressure on them and private uh, importunings for this entire time. So it's not new. BB, you know, is a political animal and very clever and uh, smart, one should say. And, and um, but I think that there's. It's not so much what BB says. I don't think BB can be blamed. Obviously, he has worked to bring the government down. That's his responsibility as the opposition leader. But it was really, it's really up to the parties and the members in the coalition as to whether they stay or not. It's not BB that will drive them. There are a lot of questions about whether Netanyahu would run. Would he, you know, under the impact of the trials? But the polls show him very strong. I think 38 seats really could maybe more, and potential coalitions, even with Gantz, with others. 
uh, all of this is speculative at this point, but there, there could be a lot of different options that come into play if, in fact, the government falls. I mean, some some are, are actually guessing that because of the uh, spike in terror attacks that he's using that opportunity to... Uh, uh, to you know, to to try to manipulate all of this because uh, one would suspect that as the as the safety and security of Israelis you know is in question, the first person they're going to blame is the current prime minister. So I mean, but, you, but, yeah, but remember that there was terrorism under during Netanyahu's tenure as well. That uh, and and I think that the Israeli people don't want to see uh, politicians exploit the suffering. Uh, of the families and the individuals in that terror, you know, is uh, they can, there's a lot of things that they can criticize in terms of the preparation and in terms of the, um, uh, are they doing all they can to prevent and the preventative measures is strong enough, has enough money been allocated to the, and the resources to the police and others to, to do their job. So those kind of questions always arise. But I think that people, you know, right now, they, the whole country suffers when when you have an attack like like last night and mourns with the families. Uh, and I don't think that exploiting it. Netanyahu has to make a decision based on the legal challenges he faces. And uh, I think he sees himself uh, as the, the prime minister and believes he'll overcome the the legal uh, obstacles. But I don't know whether the Israeli people are ready to overlook it. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, also, the uh, just last point on this: the the member of Knesset who resigned, the uh, member of Knesset Silman. Uh, I hope she, um, ha- you know, reads a little bit about recent political history in Israel, because if in fact Netanyahu convinced her to do this and promised her something down the road, uh, there there have been there have been you know many times where he has made promises in the political atmosphere and has not kept that promise. And there are individuals who can attest to that. So, you know, you know, we know what politics is and we know what, you know, taking people's words, you know, in a political arena is difficult <laughs> and they're not always trustworthy. So, I don't know, I guess she's taking a gamble. I mean, I, I know that there's a sincere, you know, reason behind the whole resignation and all that. But, um, but if in fact it was influenced by Netanyahu, people uh, who, are, uh, who are convinced by him uh, to make political moves uh, because he has, uh, you know, some benefit for them down the road, they should be careful. Because a lot of times, those benefits never come through. That is true, and the and the public also holds people to account if they're going to a period of turmoil. They may hold the person who 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 brought that about to account at the polls too. I hear that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world of web and AlchemySchool.com and the Alchem School Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. We're in our makeshift studio in New York City. I want to thank those who have been helping in our rebuilding process. Uh, tremendous outpouring from around the world and it's much appreciated to say the least. It's Erev Shabbos HaGadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzorah. Malcolm Holmline is with us, Executive Vice Chairman. Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Let's let's start with the uh, the Russia Ukraine piece with the United Nations. I mean, I know that the Human Rights Council. I don't know if it's a big deal or not. I don't even know if Russia cares uh, that they you know got a slap on the wrist at the United Nations. Uh, I mean, how would you? And, and now I, I assume what are we in five or six weeks already since since this invasion began? Um, how do you evaluate the reaction? I'm not, I'm not talking about now, you know, sending weapons. I'm talking about the political reaction of the United Nations and other countries to Russia's behavior um, uh, in light of what's happened over there. 
Well, it's certainly been an escalating reaction. Uh, a removal from the Security Council is a meaningless gesture in terms of impact on, on Russia. Nobody cares. I mean, we put down the Human Rights Council all the time. Right. Uh, they're just appointing a new rapporteur on the Middle East who has compared Israel to Nazi Germany. Uh, her, her approval is the, is just coming up. Um, I think her name was Francesca Albanese. And uh, she has talked about this comparison of Palestinians uh, to, to the, the treatment of Palestinians, treatment of Jews under the Nazis. <laughs> and this is after she said that she has no biases in, in, his, in her um, application. And the Human Rights Council mandates that it's not allowed to have people with uh, um, any kind of biases. But she's talked about Israel's apartheid state, etc. So we see the constant violation of the rights of Israel's Human Rights Council. It's the only one singled out for its own special item, item seven on the agenda, in addition to the, I don't know, 20 resolutions a year attacking Israel. So we don't have much sympathy with Human Rights Council and its biases, but it's a, you know, it's a declaration, it's an additional statement, and each one of these is seen as an important step forward. The coalescence of NATO, the um, the increasing sanctions that are, are being placed on on individuals. I saw even the Foreign Minister Lavrov's uh, family members were, were came under sanctions. Uh, certainly, Putin and his family. So, the the um, the increasing pressure is uh, is something that obviously is, is is going to have an impact. It does have an impact on Russia itself. Russia. You know, then punishes itself, but cuts off Europe from its uh, from gas, or takes other steps that is is uh, further damaging to it. Now, you know they're insisting everybody buys gas with rubles. They've taken other measures internally to try and uh, shore up the the ruble, and to to. But people in the meantime are facing shortages in Russia. There's growing dissent in Russia about this, and you know when even though many body bags are not going to come back because they supposedly incinerate the bodies of soldiers right there in the field, because that's one thing Russians don't tolerate is the is body bags coming back and, and big events. Eventually, they all know, and you've seen some high-ranking uh, people in Russia acknowledging the severe losses. That's the terms that they use now uh, in, in the battle in Ukraine. So the estimates go into the tens of thousands, I don't know the real number, but I think it's safe to say that it's it's very significant. So the the measures all are meant to be cumulative and to build pressure on on Russia. I think that with Putin and his personality, you have to give him a ladder. You have to get some way that he can withdraw with the dignity. So Zelensky has made proposals now that uh, seem to to try and give some of the things that he wants. Seeing this thing drag on, some talk about years, some talk about many months. The, um, the uh, on the other hand, Russian officials talk about May that they think that they can accomplish much more between now and May. Right now, I think that the, a lot of their accomplishments are being reversed. Uh, it is remarkable how the the people have fought uh, often just uh, physically themselves. The, um, uh, the so the, can, the when and where Putin will make a decision is unpredictable. But at some point, he's going to have to make the decision to find a way out. And we sh- should present him with 
some cover so that we end the fighting as soon as possible. Wow. Uh, I mean, th- that this has been said now for, you know, two, three weeks at this point. And even though <laughs> we continue to encourage the fact that he's got to, you know, get an out and, and, and figure out a way to, to bow out gracefully, it doesn't seem like that's happening. And it doesn't seem like he has any interest in doing that. And except for that, you know, except for a retreat or two, which, you know, the Ukraine takes as a as a major victory, which I understand, it doesn't look like there's any there's any long term plan to accomplish what you're describing. The question of what the long term plan is is one that a lot of people are debating and now they've shifted to the east, they shift to the west then and uh, they obviously are not it appears now going after give um at this time because the resistance there is very strong and you know it'll be even if they win it'll be a guerrilla war that will continue this is not going to stop uh in in uh unless there's uh, some sort of an agreement and a real ceasefire and turning over having russian troops exposed in these areas is not going uh, to be a solution and as you notice that a lot of the troops defect they don't fight they um they even sell some of their weapons and, and uh fuel uh, many say that they don't have food and they don't have um, supply lines, which has affected uh, parties in Europe before. If you don't prepare to make sure that you have a constant flow of not only uh, fuel, but also food and other things. So they go and ransack uh, in homes, et cetera. So the, the situation is, is very complicated for everybody to, and to make a decision. And the question is, has been raised is Putin getting the right information? Is he told the truth by the troops and the generals on on the field? He's lost uh, more than half a dozen of the top generals, uh, and there's no armed people to to replace them. So this is um, for for Russia. This is no cakewalk, and they they're able to survive right now. But the impact in terms of the absence of wheat and other things, both from Ukraine and Russia, is going to have a global impact. What do you make of the fact that people are returning to the Ukraine? Is it just a psychological thing that you know they're 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 assuming that that they're on the road to victory and that things will be rebuilt? Like I, it's it's amazing the number of people that are. I mean, I, I mean, I know there's a factor of reuniting with family. I get that, uh, but it's amazing. Well, that's many- a big factor. They were smart. They kept the males eighteen to sixty couldn't leave, and many of the people don't like to be dislocated. There are people who probably would have left or did leave and don't want to go back. Um, some You saw the numbers that to Israel, um, there are projections that are much higher. I don't think they're realistic, but uh, uh, some of them. Um, but the, to Germany, to other places, the, the numbers increase. We see even the Ukrainians coming in through Mexico. Um, so a lot of the population, I mean, so many millions of people, you will have a percentage that will go back. But I think the larger percentage is staying out some staying in Poland and elsewhere because they want to wait and see. Most in, in interviews on the border say that they plan to go back. They want to go back. and They left everything behind. Um, they know that the likelihood is that, aside from what the Russians destroy or, or loot, that their, their own neighbors were intact apartments when uh, people left. Uh, so they don't know even know what they're going back to. But the uh, feeling of, first of all, national pride is strong and the um, drive to reunify with families very strong. And the, uh, you know, being a refugee is not, is not exactly a desirable status for most people. 
Unbelievable. Um, is Israel in a in any different position than they were a few weeks ago? One of the first things that we, you and I spoke about on the air was uh, the the delicate role that Israel is going to have in terms of what they say publicly or uh, withhold uh, in terms of uh, public statements, both regarding the Ukraine and Russia. Are they still in a very precarious position politically, or that's not as big a deal now? Well, it's less so because uh, the lineup has become so clear in Russia. Um, I think it's not pressuring. They understand that pe- that countries are under uh, pressure. They still have a lot of leverage on Israel, and we should remember that, that they're still in, in Syria, and uh, Assad is not going to drive them out. They, um, uh, so the criticisms of Israel by Israel of Russia have escalated, that they have joined UN resolutions, including the Human Rights Council, expulsion vote that took place this, uh, yesterday, I guess. Yep. Um, it's, um, so Israel's still in a somewhat delicate position. Uh, you saw that some of the statements uh, by Lieberman and others were more moderate, uh, by Lapid much tougher, and by the prime minister sort of in the middle. Uh, I think that Israel's role as a mediating party has diminished. Turkey is doing more of it. Um, but it's, it's also not the most desirable position in because you never satisfy anybody when you're the guy in the middle. Yeah, that's true. That's why I always wonder about the different things that are coming out of, uh, out of Jerusalem, uh, in this regard. Like every time a statement is made, I'm wondering if, if, if they're taking a risk in terms of angering the other side. Um, we've spoken about China looking on and what their attitude likely is. What's the latest with Iran? They're looking on in all of this and they are thinking what? How do they benefit from it? How do they take advantage of it? How do they uh, tweak the West? How do they... Uh, and the Russians have tremendous influence within Tehran, and not only in the Vienna, in, in the talks, but also in the internal deliberations. So for Iran, obviously, it, seeing the West come together, seeing the sanctions uh, regime that's being imposed, uh, has to set off some alarm bells. On the other hand, they see that the West is completely distracted, that with the Nowruz, the New Year of the Iranians, um, this period where nobody works for two weeks, and so that they bought time, but the general frustration is, is increasing. You see administration officials saying that they don't think uh, that we're not close to a deal, and some have even said more than that. The... Um, uh, we'll have to see when they come back to, to Vienna if, we're, if they're going to be more sweeteners and more concessions, something that the parties in the, in the region, particularly this outrageous proposal that the IRGC be taken off the foreign terrorist organization list, which I think they're going to back off of right now because mm. you see General Milley came out and said he's against uh, the listing. Uh, we saw how much good it did when the Houthis were taken off the uh, foreign terrorist organization list that they escalated their violence. Although now we see that the president of Yemen resigned, who obviously was, uh, and Yemen is a puppet of, of Iran in terms of the influence with the, the Houthis, that the, uh, both UAE and Saudi Arabia are giving a billion dollars to their central bank to stabilize the economy and a billion dollars more from you know, Saudi Arabia for economic development. And the, um, uh, with the resignation of the president turning it over to a panel, um, maybe we'll see uh, a real diminution of the, of the violence in, in Yemen. Uh, but the Iranians 
uh, are now looking at uh, focusing on just on a few things. They're moving ahead constantly on their nuclear program. They, they look at the deal, which says not that they have to destroy their centrifuges. They can store four or 500, but they're able to produce new ones under the deal. They just uh, announced a new facility in Natanz. They, they are, um, and Russia, by the way, gets $10 billion to, in, in the deals that they sign with Iran to rebuild the, um, the Fordo facility. The uh, House Democrats, 20 of them yesterday, led by Josh Gottheimer and others, came out against the deal. Five or six of them held a press conference yesterday, which is significant. There were also some Democratic members of the Senate. And you remember Senator Menendez's speech. This is very important because you know, votes, uh, a switch of a few votes can determine uh, the outcome of things. But unfortunately, the, the uh, JCPOA may not be subject to congressional uh, congressional vote, although Congress is pressing for the right to review and to have a say in it. And the administration is examining the um, possibilities. If you look at what the, the number of attacks that have taken place, they significantly rose. I think, I think there's uh, um, uh, a couple hundred percent increase in the number of attacks against U.S. troops in Iraq. We see them being much more blatant that, uh, as opposed to doing what most people would anticipate, that while you're in negotiations, you step down things in order to get the concessions. The Iranians are sending messages by increasing the number uh, of attacks that, that are going on. So the internal uh, dissension from the agreement you see the how it's mobilized Israel, Greece, and Cyprus, expanding energy cooperation, both the Ukraine war and Iran is fostering that, but even more so in terms of Israel's relationship with its uh, Arab neighbors is strongly influenced by uh, by the, the developments and the fear that the U.S. is not going to stand up to um, uh, Iran and that we are still offering uh, concessions to the Europeans, still talk that we're near a deal. A deal. The, this, the fact that you have people on the team itself, the American team, dissenting and leaving uh, Rob Malley's team because they didn't like the concessions um, that are going on. Iran has abilities, remember. They can always incite Hezbollah. They can incite Hamas. Uh, and the um, uh, statements, if, if the people read what was said by the uh, Congress people who, who are dissenting right now. They talk about the sunset clauses, which means that it, you're just delaying at best. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we will turn over tens of billions of dollars to, to the Iranians. And, the, and, the, and the, the danger, if it's five years or six years or seven years, it doesn't matter. The, the fact is that we're not destroying their capacity to develop weapons. To, they have the missile delivery systems. They're weaponizing it. They're moving ahead on all fronts of the... Um, uh, of the nuclear program, which will settle for a race with Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Everybody else will want to go nuclear as well in this uh, thing. And we can expect not that Iran will become more complacent, but Iran will be more aggressive in its work. And now that they move the centrifuges to this underground facility in Isfahan, you know, we have no IAEA information. Their cameras information are not even recorded. So on every front, they're violating the understandings they have, and they're creating a, a new realities that 
will, will put them within reach in months, in weeks of a nuclear weapon. You know, Malcolm, tonight is Shabbos HaGadol, and uh, a week from tonight, the world will sit down, the Jewish world will sit down to the first Seder. There are a lot of themes at the Seder, many, many themes, but two we need to keep in mind. Um, the, every, in every generation, the enemy tries to destroy us. Those are the two themes that I wanted to point out after this conversation. Uh, we're always in a precarious position, and uh, it's hard to believe that uh, the world is still standing with everything you just described. Uh, but in the end, even when the enemy is coming after us, it is uh, the one above that uh, that saves us. Uh, from uh, from despair and elimination, and I think it's two of the important themes we need to keep in mind. But you see how much there's a lot of good news. There's a lot of new breakthroughs, uh, whether it's in in with the parties and countries in the region and in the Mediterranean area. More and more countries are reaching out to Israel. They want to associate with Israel. They want to be part of it. Uh, we do have bad news on the anti-Semitism front, but what you just quoted, we should remind people that it says Omdim. Doesn't say um. It doesn't use the past tense. It uses the present tense to remind us that every generation faces it, and that you learn from past generations how they did it. Going back to Mitzrayim, where Pyro doesn't accuse the Jews of doing anything wrong. He says, We have to deal shrewdly with them because maybe they will do something, not because of a single accusation. And that's what to remind us uh, about the the challenge we face today on anti-Semitism and on these other issues. If you look back to history, you see how our, our, our past generations dealt with them, and we learned from their successes and mistakes. And the, the question then is, why is it in every generation? I mean, there wasn't one. I think it was Yaakov Kamenetsky who asked the question, and he said, look at the next paragraph, Seyulamad, where it tells the story of Laban dealing with our forefather Yaakov, whose flocks were growing, his family was growing, and all the time that he thought it was relatively quiet, Laban was plotting against him. That the generations that don't see it blatantly, remember, you, nobody's exempt from this. Nobody, no generation has ever been. And therefore, we all have to be alert. And we all have to look at ourselves. Why is it that every person has to look, start the Seder as if he or she came out of Egypt? To remind us, there's so many lessons, as you said, in the Haggadah. You know, the halacha, that when you read the Megillah, if you only look at it as an ancient document, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. Right. I think the same thing true of the Haggadah, that if you don't understand the contemporary messages, every paragraph has a relevant message to us. And learning it that way, it'll make it much more meaningful and make it more relevant, especially to younger people, to learn it and to study it and to see that ultimately, can't thank you enough for that. Uh, wishing you a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. We'll reconvene after Pesach. Please, God, with a weekly update. Happy Matzahs to everyone. And, uh, we should only have a safe and God willing in Israel. We'll be safe and people in Ukraine will get out okay. And God willing, the bloodshed, will, everyone will stop. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Shabbos HaGadol coming up. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays. 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And uh, I assume, just thinking it through for a second, next week's Erev Yontif, the week after that is uh, Shvi Shal Pesach. So I'm assuming that the next weekly update will be um, uh, the following week 
after Pesach. Uh, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Whoa, what a special Erev Shabbos this is. Erev Shabbos, Shabbos Hagodol. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Mitzora. Parshas Mitzora contains 11 positive mitzvos according to the Chinuch. You have the purification of the Mitzora. You have the mitzvah of Tevila, the mikvah, that the mikvah is metahir, not all tumah. We know that for tumas mace, for coming in contact or being under the roof of the deceased, one needs the para aduma. And you have at the end of Parshas Mitzora the laws of Nida Zava, what is known as the laws of family purity, which has maintained Kedusha and sanctity in the Jewish home throughout the millennium. Let's first pause and discuss why this Shabbos is called Shabbos Hagodol, the great Shabbos. So the first answer is that the Haftorah that we read on this Shabbos, coming from the third chapter of Malachi, who had the distinction of being the last prophet. Now just know, put yourself in his sandals. And keep in mind, you know you are the last prophet until, please God, Elio Hanavi will come. What is the main message that you want to impart to the Jewish people, right? You want to basically tell them, as he does, to keep the faith. And he does so by saying, and not just ensuring, but promising. And he promises in the name of Hashem, of Hinei Sholeach Lachem, this Eliyahu that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises that he will send Eliyahu Anavi Lifnei Bo Yom Hashem HaGodol V'Hanorah before the great and awesome day the, before Moshiach comes there will be Eliyahu Anavi to herald and announce the coming of Moshiach so, the first reason ostensibly is to connect and remind us that as we will be sitting down next Friday night to commemorate that which happened in the past, namely that there was Yitzias Mitzrayim, so too the rabbis teach us Benisan Nigalu in Nisan we were redeemed and Benisan in the future Asidim Ligail we will be redeemed again. What does he say? Just two psukim prior to this. Zichru Toras Moshe Abdi. Remember what is going to maintain the Jewish people throughout their long 
bitter exile. And there's only one answer. Torah's Moshe Avdi. By keeping to his Torah, by by acting out how we are special and privileged that regardless where we are and under what circumstances we cling tenaciously to the Torah this is going to ensure our survival until please God till the end of days so it's the Torah. And then the rabbis tell us that there were the miracles that occurred on this day. The first one being that, if you remember everybody, I know it was a couple of years ago, but we left Egypt on a Thursday. That was the 15th of Nisan. As we read this past Shabbos, the directive was on the 10th of this day we were to take the lamb, tie it to our bedpost. The lamb doesn't like being confined and the lamb complained about it. And so throughout the community, the Egyptians heard the crying of the lamb. And they asked the Jews, what's going on here? And they said, we are going to slaughter the lamb. Now the lamb was their god. They worshipped the lamb. The fact that the Egyptians did not retaliate when they heard that the Jewish people were going to slaughter their god, wow, that was a miracle. Next, the rabbis teach us, as we say in Hodu, which is called Halel Hagodo, Hodu Lashem Kitov, Kili Olam Chazdo, in Halel Hagodo, we say Lemake Mitzrayim Bivchoreyem. Now, what does that mean? It means that Moshe told Paro after the ninth plague of darkness one more and we're out of here one more which is that God will kill out the firstborn of Mitzrayim now Moshe's track record until now was quite good while he didn't give a warning for each of the plagues but every time he did warn it came through so pretty much We can give him an A, 9 out of 9. Watch. Now that he predicts the 10th one, uh uh-oh, the Bechorim of Mitzrayim, the firstborn of Egypt, rallied before Paro. And the Egyptians said to Paro, let them go. And Paro said to his own people, no. And so... There was a bloody civil war on the 10th day of Nisan when the firstborn fought with Paro. And that's what that line means that Maki Mitzrayim, God, punished and smote the Egyptians, Bivchoreim through and with their firstborn that the firstborn came and those who 
weren't killed in that civil war. They were killed on the night of the 15th, the night of our, quote, exodus. That took place on the Shabbos, the 10th of Nisan, and it's not the day, but it is the Shabbos that's highlighted. And finally, the custom in Israel is that the Rav in each synagogue gives a drasha on this day, reviewing the laws of Pesach and going through some of the halacha and hashkafa of the forthcoming Yom Tov. I'd like to therefore uh, begin by questioning one halacha that we're all familiar with. In Simon Tafayin Zion, chapter 477 in Shulchan Aruch, we're taught that after the meal, we eat from the Matzah Shmura, right? A Kazayas for each one. Zechel Pesach, a reminder of the Korban Pesach. This is the Afikoman that's eaten ala sova. It's eaten um, when one is satiated. Yochleno Seba, you eat it leaning to the left. Lo love. you don't make a bracha on the Afikoman. And says the Machaber, Zohir, be careful everybody. Lo to eat it. To eat it before mid the night. In the New York area, mid the night, please God, next Friday night is approximately five minutes to one, 12.55 a.m. So you should try to make sure that you eat the afikoman by that time. I'd like to ask a very simple question. Why? What is it about mid the night? So the Mishnah Brewer writes, Since the Afikoman is a remembrance of the Korban Pesach, you should eat it at a time of the Pesach. And the Pesach was not eaten but till Chatzos. It was not eaten, we follow the opinion of Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah. And I'd like to ask one question, why? What is there about chatzos, about mid the night, that we is so special, that we are to finish our afikoman by chatzos? And I'd like to suggest the following beautiful answer. And that is that the Zohar calls matzah, what does that mean? The matzah is called the bread of faith. Why so? So I'd like all of us to go back in history to the very first Pesach Seder. You're coming in 9 o'clock at night and you see family sitting around the table celebrating. And you ask them, what are you celebrating? Now listen carefully. All of us have been to celebrations. The baby was just circumcised. We celebrate the circumcision. 
with a sudas mitzvah. The chassam put the ring on the kala's finger, something happened, and we celebrate that occurrence. In Mitzrayim, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, when they were eating their Korban Pesach, they were eating the matzah, they were eating the moror, what had happened? And the answer is absolutely nothing. So I ask you, what were they celebrating? And the answer is they were celebrating emuna. They were celebrating faith. Masa is called the bread of faith. Not only because we went after God into the desert without provisions, etc. But the very celebration in Mitzrayim was a celebration of Emunah, was a celebration of faith. What a beautiful idea. And this is that just as we find in the Torah, at the end of chapter 15 in Bereshis, right after the bris bain hapsorim, so Hashem, who made this covenant with Abraham, Hashem, the Torah tells us the following powerful verse. At the end of chapter 15, Torah says Bayomahu on that day Koras Hashem is Avram Brisley Moore. Hashem entered a covenant with Abraham saying Lizarachon Sati to your children I have given this land. And Rashi says, What do you mean I have given? Avram does not have any child yet. What's this, Lizarachon Asati? To your children I have given. Listen to these powerful words. Amiraso Shela Kodesh Baruchu, God's word, that I will give it to you. Ki'ilu The Medrash says, it's as if it's happened already. So here too, they celebrated as if it happened. And this is clearly what we celebrate each and every year on the night of the Pesach Seder we celebrate Emuna. We celebrate the clarity. At the beginning of Pasha's bow, the Torah says that what will be in the future that we are to give over the very beginning of Pasha's bow. Lamantis Saper that we shall relate Bosne Bincho Bincho to your children and grandchildren Esa Sheris Alalti Bimitzrayim. So the Pashib shot is how I made sport and played in Egypt, God says. But I saw beautifully in Derech Pikudecha by the Bineya Sascha, he learns his alalti, I made clear in Mitzrayim. What? Through the wonders and plagues that I brought, the Adatim Kani Hashem, we got to know the essence of God. And the very interesting, the Derech Pikudech 
quotes in the name of the Maram Chagiz that you find in the experience of the Geula all 13 Ikorei Emuna. One of the 13 Ikorei Emuna is not only we saw that there's a God because only and that he's in total control because the same cup the Jew drank water and from that same cup an Egyptian drank blood but as we find within the Haggadah next Friday night we cry to God and God listened to us which he says verifies the fifth of the Ikarei Muna. only to Hashem should we pray so too you have in the experience of Yetzias Mitzrayim all 13 Animamin Ikarei Muna. so what we find is that interestingly we split the Halil. Why are we splitting the Halil? You're hungry? Wait a few more minutes. Let's say the whole Halil. And the answer is no. We say the first two paragraphs, because the first two paragraphs explains the Abarbanel, refer to Yitzias Mitzrayim. As the second paragraph goes, it says, Yisrael mi Mitzrayim. That's it. We then say the bracha of Asher Go'alanu. As you redeemed us, please God, so too in the future. Then we sit down to eat, and we have matzah, maror, korech, the su'uda. We bench, and now what? Now says the Abarbanel, our focus with the halil of the second part, starting with lolanu, is all future-oriented. And what does that mean? I was always troubled by Shvocha Moscha. We just finished our meal, and what do we say? Hashem, pour out your wrath against those nations who, Lo Yedoucha, who do not recognize you, and Mamlochos, those kingdoms that don't recognize you because unfortunately they have devoured Yaakov, destroyed your habitation, the Beis Amigdash. What's going on here? And the answer is on several folds. Number one, we are living proof that when God came to Moshe at the burning bush and he said to Moshe, you're my man, take them out. And Moshe says to Hashem, wait a minute, when they ask me who you are, what's your name, what should I tell them? Moshe, Hashem says, Eke Asher Eke, tell them, I will be them with them now, and I will be with them in future Golios, in future exiles. Moshe said, wait a minute, that might be too much for them to handle. Hashem said, okay, tell them Eke. But the idea is, from the very beginning, Hashem not only told them about this exile of Egypt, but future exiles. Just as we had perfect faith and celebrated before it happened in, in Egypt, so too, my friends, the second part of the Seder after the meal, we are celebrating with perfect faith that there will be the Gula Hasidah.
And therefore, teach them the same way that you taught Paro, that there is a God in this world. Teach the other nations as well. Very quickly, go and you'll see what Mark Twain wrote about the Jews. He didn't like the Jews as an understatement. But the bottom line is he admits that he's the eternal nation. He doesn't know how, what, why. He should have, and the rest of the world as well, that marvels as to what comes out of Israel. What is this? And we know the answer is, as we quoted before from the Navi Malachi, Zichru Toras Moshe Avdi realizes a God who gave seven mitzvos to the rest of the world. If only they would keep them, it would be a different world. So history repeats itself. And that's what we're saying, Shvocha punish them as you punished Paro. And finally, part of the future Geula, of the future redemption, is not only that the Jewish people will recognize Hashem, but every day when we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echod, if you look in the Rashi on that verse in Parshas Eschanan, Rashi says, Hashem Shuelokeinu Ata, with an ayin, God who is our God, God of Israel, below Elohei Ha'umos, and not yet the God of the other nations, who usid in the future, Leos Hashem Echad. He's going to be in the future the God of all mankind. Shenemar, ki oz in the future, epuch el amim, sofa veruro le krokulam b'shem Hashem. Quoting from the Navi Tzvanya, chapter 3, verse 9. And venemar, as we conclude every prayer service, the entire world. And so the end of the Seder tells us that as we had perfect faith, the matzah in Mitzrayim, so too the afikoman is to give us that perfect faith that there will be a geula shlema, an imamim bemuna shlema, bevias hamashiach, that the Mashiach definitely will come. Not am I, maybe, yes, maybe, no, not. One last thing, when we pray, He will be coming back. Underline that word, say it a little slower, Davin that it should be with Rachamim. We're living in very challenging times today. Needless to say, we are getting each day, not just simply because it's a day on the calendar, but we see what's going on in the world, turbulence in this world. We're getting closer to the coming of Mashiach. But let it be, please God, Berachamim. It started with Emuna, it ends with Emuna. I pray that all of us will be able to connect with Emuna on the night of the Pesach Seder. Shabbat Shalom to all. Ach, 
with the Hey Rava here at JM in the AM. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Erev Shabbos HaGadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Mitzvah, Robocall Candle Lighting for 708 in New York. 708, make sure you know when things start where you are. A lot of synagogues begin early around the world during this time of year. Big shout out to our friends at A&H, Abels and Hyman. You're looking for some delicious meals for your upcoming Yom Tov and Cholamoid. A&H has so many uh, incredible delicious meat items. Uh, take a look when you're next in your major kosher supermarket you'll see a display of a and h products it's just amazing 
And the majority of the products are kosher Pesach, which is uh, a big advantage for the upcoming holiday. Try A&H and go to kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code RADIO. And we thank Abel's and Hyman A&H for being a great sponsor of ours here at JMNAM and the Nahum Siegel Network. ShopEichlers.com has all the Judaica that you need before Yontif. You're looking for Machzorim. You're looking for things for your Seder table. You're looking for a brand new Kittel. Whatever you're looking for, <laughs> they've got it all, literally. Uh, they've got it all at ShopEichlers.com. Special Pesach section, special Yom Tov section, of course. They have same-day delivery to so many different areas of New York and New Jersey. It could be a very, very beneficial to you. Go to ShopEichlers.com, ShopEichlers.com, get your orders in, and get ready for a wonderful upcoming Yom Tov. Our uh, Chesed project that we call It Takes Two is uh, underway. Full steam ahead, as they say. Right, that's the expression, full steam ahead. And uh, those of you out there who are um, who are inclined to help others before Yuntif, please implement your plan, whatever it might be. You've heard some of our suggestions over the last few weeks. Um, the ncsygreatadventure.com website is open. It's open not just to place reservations for your own tickets and not just to get a parking pass discounted, which you could do online at ncsygreatadventure.com, and not just to enjoy the Simcha Liner and Ellie Marcus concert Tuesday at 3 p.m. at Six Flags. But there's a donate button at the top of the page. Donate tickets at the top of ncsygreatadventure.com. For the traditional $180 donation, you could send four teenagers to Six Flags this Cholamoid. And trust me, if uh, youngsters in our community who can't afford it and whose families can't afford it, if they know on Yontif that they're going to Six Flags on Cholamoid, it'll change their entire Yontif. This is something we discussed last week with Rabbi Crone when he joined us here on JM in the AM. So please, it's the It Takes Two campaign. Um, we, we put it that way because we are hoping that when someone thanks you for the nice gesture you've done for them, you've paid a bill of theirs, uh, you've given them a gift card to a supermarket. You've left a bottle of wine on their door with a nice note, hoping they enjoy the Seder. Uh, you've paid for their dinner to be delivered Wednesday and Thursday night to their home because it's such a difficult night this coming Wednesday and Thursday for families to, uh, for parents to, to feed their kids and to find the time with all the Pesach preparations to feed their kids. Any of those ideas, when you're thanked for them, when you are thanked for those ideas, we're hoping you'll encourage the people who thank you to, uh, you'll say you're welcome and then you'll encourage them to do something nice even if it's inexpensive, even if it's free, uh, for somebody else before Yuntif. That's what we are hoping. And uh, so far, so good with the uh, It Takes Two campaign, and let's hope that it continues. Time to take a shot is with Journeys at JM in the AM.
special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well in. Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSegal.com and the Network, Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing, uh, <laughs> really an amazing week. I got to give a special thank you to Avrami. A uh, special thank you to everybody who's working hard behind the scenes. Um... Special thank you to Chief of Staff Yigal, everybody who's really working so hard to um, continue to rebuild, even as we broadcast from a makeshift studio, which is not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Enjoy all of our amazing programming. Naomi Nachman's next with a brand new edition of Table for Two. 10 o'clock for the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people like Kedem. Kedem presents the Arab Shabbos music mix all day long. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. And uh, Sunday, it's uh, JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next week, Nachum Seagull reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.